Have you heard of the movie Unplanned that's out there? It's getting a lot of popularity. You know, it's about a woman who uh, is named Abby Johnson. She became the youngest clinic director of Planned Parenthood, which is really planning not to be parents. But she had this this life-changing event in her life where she's called in to help with an abortion. And she sees the the pain and the torture uh, as this child in the womb is being dismembered. And it really causes me, when I think about abortion, to wonder why. Why would someone do this? And, you know, of course, we can't get in the minds of everyone, every young woman that goes in to have an abortion. But, you know, I really believe that a lot of it's driven by fear. You know, I mean, possibly there are, these, there are ladies who just are cold and calculated and just want to get rid of the inconvenience, but that's not most of abortions. 99% of abortions are for economic reasons or social reasons. Now, when we think about that, uh, initially it sounds just horrible, and, and, and there's no justification for murdering a child, but, but socially, many have fears of, of the shame of having a, a being pregnant outside of marriage. They're teen mothers and single mothers that just have a fear of that and have fear of telling their parents or their, their partners or their friends. They fear that they won't know how to take care of a child. 86% of abort, abortions are obtained by, by single mothers. Economically, many of them have financial fears. You know, how am I going to provide for this child? 50% of abortions are obtained by those under the poverty level. 75% are obtained by those that are twice the poverty level or under, which would be around $24,000 a year at twice the poverty level for a single mother. So they're thinking, perhaps, how am I going to keep my job? How am I going to complete my education? How am I going to provide for a family? Now, none of that's justification for killing a child, but it highlights that fear can be a powerfully, very disturbing, controlling factor in people's lives. It can empower behaviors that are very destructive and sinful. We might ask the question, why do we fear? And what do we fear? What about you? Do you fear anything? Do you have uh, anxiety or worry about different things? Uh, that's another way that fear manifests itself. You, you might fear failure or you fear loneliness. You fear losing a job and not being able to provide for your family. Do you, do you fear conflict is coming again in your marriage or with your child? Do you fear the loss of loved ones or that when people die in your family or in your friendships that they will go to hell? Do you fear pain? You're, you're suffering from some type of illness and day in and day out you're going to face pain and you might face more pain. You, you have the fear of dying. But thankfully the Lord doesn't leave us alone in our fears. He gives us passages like Psalm 27 that are perfectly designed 
to help us to face our fears, and not just to face them, but to overcome them. Look at Psalm 27 with me, and we're going to see that David is used by God, the Holy Spirit, to give us a perfectly crafted piece of Scripture to help us to handle our fears, and he uses David to show us four ways, four ways to overcome fear. The first way that you overcome fear is by faith. Faith in the Lord. Notice how David speaks of this in verses 1 through 3. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me. In spite of all of this, I shall be confident. It's really important when you're having uh, anxieties or worries to, to think about what is my fear? What is driving this? What is causing this? Single it out. You know, David, if anybody had reason to fear, it was David. And he went through lots of fearful circumstances. And he identifies this fear here. Uh, first of all, listen to the way he describes it. He says, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? And it just teaches us that, that fear causes dread. Do you dread anything? Maybe some people are at a point where they, they hate their job so much they just dread going to work. Some people have so much conflict at home, I dread going home. We have these, these dreads, these fears, and, and notice he has a person or persons, many persons <laughs> in his life that he fears. He says, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? Well, there's a lot of uh, reason for him to feel like this because notice how he describes these people. He describes them as evildoers, adversaries, enemies. He describes what he is facing as war. He says there's a host, an army that is encamped against him. He can see their tents. He can see their fires. He, He can see the smoke. And he knows that the engines of war are upon him. And he says what they desire to do is devour his flesh. What an ugly sign. It's like an an animal that's ready to pounce, ready to just open its mouth and tear him apart. What do you fear? What do you dread? Well, whatever it is, God has the answer. You overcome fear by faith. In the Lord, it's, it's by trusting in the Lord. And it's really important for you to think about who is the Lord and why should I trust Him? Well, he goes on here uh, at the verse, part of verse 1. He says, the Lord is my light. The Lord's your light. One thing that people dread or are fearful of sometimes is the dark. And if you just think about uh, stumbling around in the dark, this morning I got up and it was really dark in our room. And, and I, when I'm walking in our room in the dark, you know, I remember that I left my shoes 
I didn't put them in the closet. And so they're somewhere around, so I'm shuffling my feet. And then I know that the, the bathroom door is over there somewhere. And so I hold out my hand so that whenever I get to the wall, I can touch it. And then I know there's a door, and I slide over, there's the door, and I open the door, and I know there's a light switch over there as well. And so I finally get over to the wall where the light switch is, and I'm thankful for the light. But you know, in life, that's that way too, right? You walk through, we, we describe uh, depression as, as dark times sometimes. You're going through, through darkness in your life, and you need a light. You need something or someone to help you see the way. Well, the Lord is that light. And hasn't He shined into the darkness of your your heart for salvation? He talks about the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation. From a spiritual perspective, the Lord has illumined us. He has caused us to see the truth. He's penetrated hard hearts. He has awaked, awakened us from the dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and, and He has given us salvation. He has lighted our way to trust in Him for our salvation. But I can tell you that He doesn't want to just leave you saved, just leave you justified, but He wants to deliver you through everything in life. So He is your light. He's the one that you go to to trust in and and say, you know, Lord, you're my light in this dark time. I would have despaired if I'm left to myself. I I can't see the way clearly. And he's got all the wisdom that you need for that particular circumstance, for that particular trial. And he's there for you. The, The word salvation is often used, you know, by us. When we look back, we think of our spiritual salvation from sin and death and and Satan and that we have the hope of heaven and all that's true for us but usually in the Old Testament the salvation refers to some deliverance from some particular temporal circumstance in this case David has seen over and over and over how God has delivered him in warfare he delivered him and he gave him the victory over Goliath he gave him the victory over hundreds and maybe thousands of Philistines and other enemies So it's really important that once you identify what your fear is, that you remember who your God is. He is your light. Now, light can be a powerful thing. It can drive a lot of of things. It can help us. Have you ever heard of uh, what it's like in Washington for long periods of the year and how there's like a a cloud cover, there's just darkness, it's just dreary. Uh, there was a, a headline in the news one time that said that uh, school canceled, sunshine. <laughs> Woohoo! You know, it's, it's really funny to think about how they decided we're going to let the students out so they can enjoy this sunshine today. But you know, darkness and cloudiness and This pall over our lives can happen sometimes. And the light of Jesus can shine into that darkness and give you hope, give you wisdom in the midst of it. I just think of some of these uh, verses that we have in Scripture that highlight God as light. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Psalm 18, 28 says, For you light my lamp. The Lord my God illumines my darkness. So he illumines the darkness. Darkness in your life is always going to be there. It's, it's reflected and it comes and goes, doesn't it? And so you need to continue to turn on the light by going to the Lord. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Just hanging on the word of God, His truth, the scriptures, will light your way. He'll show you the path. He'll show you how to get through this particular trial. The Lord is your light. He's also your salvation. He goes on in this uh, section in Psalm 27, verse, verse, two, verse 1, he says, The Lord is the defense of my life. So he's going to not only lighten your way, he's also going to save you through this trial, but he's also going to defend you. He'll be your protector. Nothing can touch you apart from God's permission. Yes, he allows trials, but know that he's the defender. He won't give you a trial, but that He will give you the way out and the way through. He's with you. It's just good to think about these things when you pray. When you pray, think about, Lord, You are my light. I need Your light in my darkness. Lord, You are my salvation. You've, you've saved me from sin and Satan and death, and You've given me eternal life, but now I need You to, to save me, to deliver me through this darkness. I need You to defend me, Lord, and to protect me. It's good to remember for your faith what God's done in the past. Look at uh, verse 2. He says, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh... My adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. So David can look back in his life and he can see how there was Goliath. There were the Philistines. There were foes sometimes uh, just seeming to be too many to number. And yet God has delivered him again and again and again. It's so good to, to look back. And see how God did this. I, I can think about uh, when I was diagnosed with epilepsy. And it was just tremendously debilitating. To, to, and to think, first of all, I don't even know what's happening. Why is this happening? What's happening? And eventually, finally diagnosed. And then having different types of medication, you know, having uh, reactions that were not good to the medication that I was on, and then all of a sudden finally getting the right medication, and then kind of growing through strengthening and eventually being able to think again and being able to remember things and not have seizures, you know, hallelujah. And then to be able to preach, you know, to do all the things that uh, by God's grace I'm able to do. But it's good to remember back for me to, to do that, to say, wow, Lord, you led me through that whole process. 
You delivered me. I can hope in you for the next thing. And if you think about God as your light and your salvation and your defender and you're looking back and you're having faith that's strengthened because of this, you can have confidence. Look at verse 3. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rises against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. Faith produces confidence. The more you keep going to the Lord, the more you keep seeing who He is, and the more you remember what He has done, the stronger you're going to be this time to go through that trial. So we overcome fear first by faith, faith in the Lord. But second, He teaches us that we overcome fear by focusing on the Lord. Now, there's been some focus on the Lord in the first stanza there, but, but he goes deeper into this, the verses 4 through 6. Notice what he says. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. For in the day of trouble... He will conceal me in His tabernacle. In the secret place of His tent, He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Yes, I will sing. I will sing praises to the Lord. It's so easy to focus on all the things around us, all the things that are up there swirling around, all the trials coming at us from every direction and things we don't want to see happen, things that make us angry. And, you know, it's just debilitating as you try to think about all these things and solve all these problems. Only one thing's necessary, though. And what can bring peace in the midst of that storm of things is focusing on the Lord. What I want to challenge you to do is make Jesus your one thing. It's a song by Rich Mullins that I used to listen to. You know, it talks about Jesus is my one thing. He says here in verse 4, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that shall I seek. Those of you who were here on Wednesday night, we looked at this and allowed you to just kind of go over some discussion questions and had certain verses. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? How Martha was concerned about so many things. But she's got Jesus in her house. (laughs) So Mary says, we got Jesus in the house. We're going to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. You've got so many things you could be bothered by. It's so easy to be distracted and pulled away from Jesus. But you've got to make Jesus your one thing. Have a single-minded devotion. As Paul talks about the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. That will help you in your times of fear, your times of darkness. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Think Paul had some problems? In that same epistle, he's in prison. He might be going to die, but he says... 
for me to live is Christ. If I'm left here, it's going to be fruitful labor for me. I'm going to continue in my ministry. I'm going to continue to share the gospel, see people saved. I'm going to be encouraged by you, Philippians. You're going to be encouraged by me. But if I die, it's better to depart and be with Christ, right? What a simple mindset. If I live here, it's for Jesus. And as I was telling my class earlier today that, you know, you know you only have this moment. You ever think about that? Everything else is gone. You don't know if tomorrow comes. You don't know if the next moment is going to happen. You have this moment. Oh, you have this second. Oh, that's gone. You have this second. That's gone. You know, you, you have to keep on thinking about... I'm in this moment right now, am I going to trust Jesus? Am I going to live for Jesus? Let him be your one thing. And if he is, then fear is going to be a time to worship. He says, the one thing that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. David apparently is not at the tabernacle, which would be the temple he's talking about, the place of worshiping God, the place of going there during the feasts and the festivals and, and where there have been people who have seen the visible manifestation of the glory of God at the tabernacle. Just a brilliance, a, a beauty he talks about. He wants to just be in the presence of God. And he says, and to meditate there. There are three, three thoughts there, I think, about uh, in that verse where he says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That, that's where we want to be in our trials, just dwelling in the presence of Christ. Times of prayer, times of worship. You're here. You're with the people of God. We are considered a temple of the Holy Spirit. All of us each individually are a temple, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. What a mindset to think, I'm going through trials, but so this is a time of worship. It's a time when I get to think about being with God because that's what's going to help me. That's what's going to get me through this, to dwell with Him. And He says, and to behold the beauty of the Lord. Ever think about how beautiful the Lord is? You can start by just thinking about how beautiful His creation is. I love the beach. I love to go out there, and it just seems everything's bigger. You see the big ocean. You see the big sky. You see the majestic clouds. I just think about how beautiful the Lord is then, because He's the creator of all that. And just think about His ingenuity, His creativity, His details. It's good to just think... God, you're powerful. His eternal power and divine nature are seen by what is made. Look at the beauty of His holiness and his, the radiance of His glory and His faithfulness. His, his knowing everything. I mean, you know, He knows what's in my heart and my thoughts. He knows what we're about to say before there is a word on our lips. All of that is just beautiful. It's good to just meditate. He goes on to say, 
uh, and to meditate in His temple. Be in the Lord's presence through your, your times of prayer and in His Word. Meditate upon who He is and, and all of His characteristics, all of His attributes. I like verse 5. I call this hiding out with the Lord. Hide out with the Lord. Verse 5, it says, For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. I think here of, of, a, of a child playing hide and seek. Anybody over here ever play hide and seek? I love my granddaughter, Clementine. Let me just tell you all about her. She's cute. She walks around, and sometimes when she loves her papa. And she'll grab my hand, and she'll guide me around, and she'll take me into my room. And I have a, a walk-in closet there, and she'll have me walk in there, and she'll say, sit. And we sit down, and we close the doors to the walk-in closet, and we just sit there. And I think, okay, well, we need to get somebody to look for us. <laughs> but she'll just sit there with me and be quiet. So I'll, get, I'll, I'll tell somebody next time, when I do that, come find us. <laughs> and sure enough, somebody will, and we'll play peekaboo behind the door, and then she'll close it again, she'll close it again, and open it. And... You know, I just think about being a child just hiding with God. Ever feel like you have to do that? Just get away from everything else. Just go and hide. Worship. Focus on the Lord. I love how all this kind of uh, builds and accumulates and we have these thoughts. In verse 6, you see a totally different perspective from fear and dread. He says, And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer... In his tent, sacrifices with shouts of joy. If God is this God who he says he is, and he's your Lord, he's your light, he's your salvation, he's your protector, he's the one that you worship, and, and he's the one who hides you and conceals you in his presence, then you can expect a victory. Now, I don't know how David thought that uh, this for sure was going to be a victory in this case, but... You know, there's lots of reasons we might go into with that, but the, the bottom line is that he expects a victory. And he gets ready to rejoice. He says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. What a different perspective. I have fear and dread of these things, but my focus, my worship, my meditation, my hiding in the Lord produces confidence in me, so much so that I say, if God is this way, then I can expect a victory. I don't know what it's going to look like, but nevertheless, I will be victorious. And I'm going to shout for joy. I, I love that passage. I was sharing this earlier with somebody in Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do far beyond all that I can 
think of. One version says, even imagine all that I can ask or think. You know, and he uses those superlatives far more abundantly beyond all that I can ask or imagine. That should get us excited. You know, I used, Myron, I have this saying, when life gets tough, get excited. What? It's counterintuitive. When life gets tough, get excited. Why? Because God's going to be glorified and you're going to grow. You can be absolutely certain. You're always going to grow and God's going to be glorified. He's going to make sure. Because that's his whole goal, is to glorify himself and to make you like Christ. So expect the victory. Think about, you know, sometimes we talk about, I don't know how we're going to get through this, but I know God's going to glorify himself. And so we can think about, one day we're going to look back on this, and it's going to be like that victory he talked about before, where God had given him victory over his enemies. One day we're going to rejoice. We're going to sing songs of praise because of how God has given us this victory. So third, we want to overcome fear by finding favor with the Lord. Faith, focusing on the Lord, finding His favor. You know, that's what you need in your life. Verses 7 through 10 Say, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon nor forsake me, O God, of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. At this point, you know, David hasn't really been praying at this point. He's been thinking, he's been meditating, he's been worshiping. But now all of a sudden he starts to ask God specifically for things, which we should do as well. We should seek his face, find his favor, ask for what we need. Listen to how he he says this in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have you ever cried out to the Lord? That's something that we have to have in our tool belt when we're going to do this work of prayer. Bowing our knees, getting on our knees. Sometimes you you can't even do anything but just lie on the ground. Throughout the Psalms, we see this idea, Psalm 3, 4, I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and He answered me. Psalm 5, 2, Heed the sound of my cry for help. Many places it says things in the Psalms like, Give heed to my cry, and I cried to the Lord my God for help. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears are open to their cries. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. So we get this example of just crying out to the Lord. And I certainly commend it. There are times when our emotion needs to be felt deeply and then poured out and directed towards God to to feel what we're going through. And to express your, your voice 
is something that God gave you as an instrument of worship. He wants to hear the, the intensity. He wants to hear the emotion. He wants to, to hear the, the, the quietness, the calmness. He wants to hear the, the loudness of what you're experiencing. I, don't you love that you have a God who wants to hear you? He wants you to come to Him. And, and crying out just expresses that it's natural to feel kind of desperate sometimes. Do you ever feel that way? So he says, hear, O Lord, when I cry. And, and some things to cry out for and ask about are grace and answers. He says, be gracious to me and answer me. You need God's grace to get through. You need God's grace to empower you. You need, uh, grace is sometimes thought of as favor. You, you seek His favor that He would bless you in this life, and that, that He would answer we have prayers that we pray over and over and over again. But we don't stop. We don't give up. We, we keep on saying, Lord, answer us. But we'll see at the end of this passage that uh, you have to wait. You have to wait for those answers. But continue to, to request. And what you're doing here is you're seeking the Lord's face Look at verse 8. It says, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Notice how he says, When you said, Seek my face. That's something God commands us to do and invites us to do, is to seek His face. And His face is often used in the Old Testament to describe a uh, a place of, of favor before God. That you want Him to look upon you. You want, him, you want to see the smile of God. This is in the high priestly prayer even in Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 and following. You know, it, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. That's the cry of our hearts. Lord, I'm seeking your favor. I'm seeking you to answer me. I, I, I need you to be gracious to me. I need you to look upon me with your favor. I need the success that only you can give me in, in my marriage. Seek the Lord's face. And desire His pleasure. Look at verse 9. He says, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your, to, turn your servant away in anger. That's the opposite of what we want. <laughs> we deserve His anger, don't we? We deserve His wrath. But by God's grace, He can give us His favor. He can, he, he's pleased with us. We're His dearly loved children. And we should come expecting help from Him. Verse 9 goes on to say, You have been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me. O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. We don't know exactly why he says his father and mother have abandoned him, 
But they would have good reason to. You know, hey, our son, he made it to the king's house. He's a great general in the army. Saul's trying to kill him. Hey, our son became king. Well, he has to go to war all the time. He's got all these enemies against him. In fact, there are many times that he had to hide his family and his uh, cohorts in caves. How'd you like to be, you know, you're, you're providing for your mom and dad. Well, we've got this nice, dank, dark cave over here. If you follow me around, you know, people are going to be trying to kill you. So, for some reason, it says, he says, they have forsaken me. But you know, when human relationships have failed, God will still be a rock as your father. He can be depended upon. He can be relied upon. And he, he says, you've been my help. The Lord will take me up. It's good to express things to God. You are this way, you have been this way, and therefore I can expect you to be this way. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which is in a context of the promise, the Lord is my helper. He will never leave you or forsake you. Never. We'll finally overcome fear. Not only by faith, not only by focusing upon the Lord, not only by finding favor in the Lord or with the Lord, but overcome fear with, by faithfulness to the Lord. He is this great God for you to have faith in and to focus on and worship and to find His favor. But He expects faithfulness for you. He expects you to walk with Him through the trial and to, to live in a righteous way. Look at verses 11 through 14. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me. And such as breathe out violence, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. <clears throat> These are instructions that we get from David's example here. Verse 11 teaches us that we should learn the ways and follow Him. In your trial, it's one thing to call out to the Lord and see Him for who He is, but it's quite another thing to now in that confidence and in that faith, walk forward with Him. Learn the Lord's ways. Verse 11, teach me your way. So you're going to the Lord and in His Word saying, okay, what should I do in this situation? And lead me in a level path because of my foes. So you're going to Him, you're learning what to do, and then you depend upon the Lord for your deliverance. Verse 12, do not deliver me over to the desires of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me as such breathe out violence. So he's saying, Lord, I'm going to have to depend upon you as I take these steps. And that's what you need to do. Go step by step along the path with the Lord, depending upon him. <clears throat> but look for his goodness to be revealed. He is going to be good to you. Is God good? You believe He's going to be good to you? 
Always. He's always good and He's always good to you. Verse 13, he says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the New American Standard, it says, I would have despaired, and it's in italics there because they're trying to supply what's missing. If you look at the Hebrew text here, you know, it goes, you know, for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence, and then it goes, unless. It's poetic. It's all of a sudden there's, there's a jump in the thought from this danger and adversaries and enemies and devour my flesh and, you know, just the idea this would be an impossible situation. There's just no hope unless... unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, you would have despaired. You would have, whatever your circumstances are, whatever your situation is, it seems desperate. It seems like there's no way out of it. There's no way to succeed. It's just a lost cause. But then all of a sudden you think this way. If you think that you're going to see God's goodness... And he says, in the land of the living. You know, everybody's trying to kill him. They're trying to devour, devour his flesh. And all of a sudden he says, I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord while I'm alive. If you live another moment, you're going to see the goodness of the Lord while you're alive. So, what do you have to do? You're praying, you're trusting, you're worshiping, you're depending, you're going to him, and you're asking for specific things to happen in your life, well, you have to wait. Sometimes He's going to place us in that place of waiting on Him, waiting for His timing. That's where David is when he finishes writing this psalm. Verse 14, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. You know... He is giving himself some counsel. And and we need to counsel ourselves so many times. That's what the Psalms do over and over again. There's a self-counseling, telling yourself, I need to wait. I just need to wait on the Lord, trusting and in faith. And while I'm waiting, be strong. Be strong, armed with this knowledge we've talked about. And let your heart, that, that inner immaterial part of you where you're thinking and you're willing and your mind and your will and your emotions, all of that together in the package of who you are should be focused, courageous, and trusting. He ends with this refrain, yes, wait for the Lord. So I hope that gives you some hope this morning. Notice that the the psalm begins in verse 1 with fear and dread, and it ends with courage. I pray that whatever you're fearing, whatever you're dreading, that today you'll walk out of here with courage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Excuse me. As we pray here before the Lord, uh, I want to do something that's 
special to me. I've taken these last two verses and I've written a song that I sing time to time. And just close your eyes and listen as I pray this. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living, wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take courage in Him. Lord, thank You for Your Scriptures. Thank You for preaching. Thank You for worship. I pray for all of these that are gathered under my voice, that they would overcome their fears and take courage because of You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.